Hey guys, Happy New Year. Before we get into this new episode for 2022, I just want to say thank you everyone who listened to this podcast. You mean the world to me and I want to keep on providing heaps of value for you guys. So any feedback is always uh, wanted. Let me know what I can do for you. Let me know who you want to hear. Um, you know, this podcast is for you and I'm going to be changing things up a little bit, I think, uh, this year. So we'll see what happens, but stay tuned. Thanks for listening, guys. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Make Ideas Reality Podcast. I'm Justin White, aka the Garage Avenger. It's fairly well known that the inspiration for Velcro came from the cockleburrs caught in the hair of George D. Mestrel's dog, and that Leonardo da Vinci drew on the bird's wing for ideas for his flying machines. It seems that humans have been attempting to copy nature for a very long time. And this impulse continues today with my guest, Ivan Isla, who is known for his metal kinetic sculptures and his artistic flair. You might know him from the Netflix show, Metal Shop Masters, but it's been a long road from his humble beginnings to get where he is today. Today, we're going to be talking about Ivan's story. We'll be delving into his fascination of mimicking movement in nature. You'll get a sneak peek behind the curtain of Ivan's creative process. And we discuss the controversial travesty of the Metal Shop Masters finale. Even if you've never heard of Ivan Isla, your ears are in for a treat. Now let's get on with the show. Cleaning a roller grill at a gas station seemed to give him the motivation to stop listening to self-doubt and build the world's biggest brown trout. Welcome to the show, Ivan Isla. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. That was good. I like that. <laughs> now, um, a lot of people uh, may know you from uh, Metal Shop Masters. That's how I first saw you. Uh, but I thought I'd give you the chance now just to sort of introduce yourself and give people a little bit of a quick rundown on who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, I'm Ivan Eiler. I'm a metal sculptor. I've been doing metal sculpture uh, since I was about 16 years old. But, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of different forms of art since I was a little kid, you know. Was always the one scribbling on the desk as a as a boy, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of us, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and now I, like I said, I first found you in on Metal Shop Masters. I had no idea that you existed prior to that. And then watching the show, I immediately you know started rooting for you. Um, your work seemed to be like. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> your work seemed to be like a bit more. Uh, thought out and you had always had like a story behind it and the way you involved movement in nearly everything you did including like the the silhouette sculpture i thought was awesome um and it just so happened that i've always been fascinated too with like kinetic sculptures and interactive sculptures and so you know if you look back on my projects you always see like there's always something moving an element of them moving whether it's a motor turning something or a, a lever pushing something there's something always there and, and seeing 
you in action really made me want to up my game to, <laughs> to, to what I was trying to do. And so I just want to say uh, thanks to you and, um, you know, mm. thanks for thanks for inspiring me to, to push myself a little bit more. Now, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Now, Metal Shop Masters obviously wasn't where it all started. It wasn't like you first, you know, picked up a welder on the show. So no. I will. <laughs> so I wanted to go back and talk about where it all began. Where did it all start, and when did you pick up your first welder? Well, uh, welding started for me um, back when I was, yeah, about fifteen or sixteen years old. Um, I had gotten a uh, a summer job when I was younger, about fourteen, and it was kind of like a keep kids out of trouble program for the summer. And so I was a janitor and I saved up uh, money that summer and bought an old CB750 motorcycle. And uh, at the high school, there was a, uh, there was a teacher there who, uh, he taught shop class, but I, I had really bad grades. And so, you know, here in Michigan, it's one of those things where if you don't have good enough grades, you can't really do elective classes. So things like that aren't really kind of, you know, they're just, something that's a little out of your range. And so I, I didn't get to, uh, to really take a uh, metal shop or anything like that in high school, but I went to him after school and, you know, told him that I knew how to use the equipment and just didn't have access to it and asked him if I could stay after school and, and use the welders and the tools in the shop there. And I think he realized pretty quick that I actually had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but to his credit, <laughs> he let me uh, hang out and play around with the stuff anyways, and just kind of figure it out and uh, make sure I wasn't killing myself at the same time. And so that's what I did. I just started doing it after school and, and then, you know, started it by, uh, by wanting to build a motorcycle. And then I started doing metal sculpture pretty much the same time I was already doing other kinds of sculpture. And so once I could weld, then obviously I had to weld things together to make them look cool as well as building things that were practical. And, and then it just kind of started to go from there. You know, I put a, a welder on layaway and uh, slowly paid it off until I could pick it up. And that was the first one I ever owned. And, and I just, just kind of kept going. Yeah, it was a MIG welder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was my the, first the, one. The hot glue gun of welding. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it was, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, It was a bad one, too. <laughs> that's the worst thing to, <laughs> to get as mm, a bad welder, right? I, I, I honestly thought that I was just a terrible welder for the longest time until I finally got a better welder. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. No, it was definitely the machine. <laughs> I actually learned, I actually got really good at welding, trying to make this horrible welder just create a bead. So, <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot by using a really bad welder, but I'd recommend starting with something a little nicer if you can. <laughs> now, you mentioned you started like modifying your, your little, well, not a little, but like a, a motorbike. Mm -hmm. at school there and you know that led into what after yeah well basically i just i started with that and um i mean to be honest at the time you know i, I knew i wasn't going to be you know the kind of guy who went to college didn't have any money kind of grew up poor and uh wouldn't really know what i'd want to do with a college degree anyways because i mean if i had the money then sure yeah i would have loved to go to mit you know be an engineer but didn't have the money for anything like that. And I certainly didn't have the grades for it. Um, so what I decided to do was just to, uh, was just to 
do tattoos. It was a way to do my artwork and make, make a living at it. So I started out as a tattoo artist. It was kind of the first thing that I did out of high school. It's actually doing an apprenticeship while I was still in high school. And then from there, uh, the economy got pretty bad here in the States. And, you know, if people couldn't pay the rent, they weren't getting tattooed. So <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I had to, had to quit and get a job at a factory and then the economy got worse and the factory shut down. So I went through a couple factory jobs and yeah, the next thing I knew I was working at a gas station. And at that point it was kind of like a, well, there's nothing left to lose moment, you know, because making $7 and 50 cents an hour working at a gas station. And like you said, in your intro cleaning hot dog roller grills and, and it was just like, yeah, I got literally nothing left to lose. So I opened up a motorcycle shop and started out by building custom motorcycle parts and uh, selling those online, selling them around the world, and, and also building custom motorcycles. Got in a few magazines and kind of got my name out there through building motorcycles. It seemed like a way to do my artwork, build something that I enjoyed building, and kind of build a name for myself. And then, you know, was able to kind of take it full circle back into uh, back into sculpture after a while. Yeah, did you did you find yourself like sneaking in? sculptural elements into your bikes that you know like maybe you thought oh, yeah. oh, the customer maybe doesn't like this but i like it <laughs> <laughs> oh no nothing that i ever thought a customer didn't like but i definitely did that yeah it was a lot of uh a lot of the stuff i built was real sculptural motor the motorcycles i built they were they were weird they weren't the kind of thing you'd pick up on a showroom floor <laughs> so they were pretty sculptural themselves yeah yeah, I think that's something to say, right? Because, I mean, you can't just start a business selling, you know, standard motorcycle parts. and No, no, no one's ever going to put you on a motorcycle cover building mm, a regular motorcycle. No, right. <laughs> you got to build something pretty wild. Yeah. And, you know, where does this fascination from movement come from? Because, you know, you, you obviously motorcycles move, but, you know, a lot of your work – uh, seems to have moving elements. Um, at least a lot of the smaller sculptures, not the huge ones, uh, which no. I've seen that you've done. But um, you know, where did that come from? Like, because I have a, I, I have a fascination of movement, and I wonder, sort of, you know, you know, when you turn a handle, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know that rotational movement turns into some sort of lineal movement. And then yeah. through through pure fucking magic, you know, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a, a humpback mm. whale is effortlessly swimming in the air. I mean, mm. where where did this fascination come from? Did you did you grow up close to nature, or was it like an experience that sort of sparked something inside? Uh, no, I've always uh, yeah, I've always been like a, a huge fan of nature, animals, biology, mechanics. I mean, it all really ties together. Is it's it's something that like the only the only classes that I ever really excelled in and did good at in school were ones that I was really interested in, um, and that would have been like science was a huge one for me. So I've always been interested in the way things work. I just want to know, you know, how things work. Like like I've said it a hundred times, but some people collect stamps. I like to collect skills. Like I want to know more. I'm always trying to learn something new every day, and and looking at nature and watching the way that things move for me, it's just, it's almost like a puzzle, like a challenge of, okay, how do I take one rotating motion, you know, either from a motor or from a hand crank, 
which I really enjoy doing a hand crank because then somebody can really watch everything that's going on and realize that they're the ones that's creating that movement with their mm -hmm. hand. It makes it seem less magical. If you put a motor on something, people go, oh, it's just all electronics and gadgets. But the thing is, no, it's still the exact same mechanisms. You're just turning it with a motor instead of by hand, but turning it by hand seems to make it seem more magical to people when they watch it. Plus, then you don't have to have a power source. You can stick it in. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, for me, it's like the puzzle of being able to look at something in nature, being able to go, okay, there's this beautiful way that this thing moves. Now, I want to try to recreate that. It isn't just a matter of trying to make something move that looks similar. You know, I don't want something to just move and go, okay, yeah, it kind of moves like that, so that looks okay. No, it's like there's what is it about the movement here that I'm looking at that is beautiful, and how do I recreate that smoothly just using one rotating motion and like working that out in my head is just something that I just really love to do. It's, it's the mechanics of it. I'm just really fascinated by machinery, clocks, watches, anything like that. And so, yeah, sitting down and trying to come up with a way to create a new machine just for the sake of being beautiful. is just, I, yeah, it's just something I've always wanted to do and always kind of tried to do even just making little whirly gigs as a kid, you know, it's just kind of something I've always been interested in. Yeah. So, I, I mean, were you pulling apart things as a kid? And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom was always saying that. Yeah. Uh, Ivan can fix it. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was just, that was, that was me. I was always pulling things apart, always making something, always building something, trying to do something to figure something out. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of it back together too, believe it or not. <laughs> I think not a lot. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think a lot of my a lot of our listeners they they pull things apart and never get them quite back together. The same. <laughs> yeah, that's all part of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, you know, I I love the fascination of like getting something to get it to move in a certain way. You know, like yeah. seeing something real, like an animal, and the way it moves. And, yeah. um, I saw something on your Instagram. I think it was a, I think it was a fox's leg that you were yeah. doing. Yep. And just, yeah. just the way you had like all the joints, the joint in the paw, and, mm -hmm. and the, yeah, I think uh, I just like, yeah, cause it's, it's, it's got to roll right. Cause yeah, if it doesn't lift and bend at the right points, it won't, yeah, it won't have that realistic look and feel. So it has to lift just right as it's moving when it's supposed to. And, yeah, that's that's the fun part. That's the tricky part. <laughs> I I was just like, my I'm God. glad you liked it. <laughs> I love. I was like, what? How did he like that? Would have taken a lot of time for me to yeah. work out. I mean, I I made yeah. I made like this whale shark last year, like a nice. whale whale shark whale shark sculpture, and nice. it was made out of wood, and mm -hmm. it I'd I so I watched a couple of videos of whale sharks swimming around, yeah. and I like watched where the pivot points of their yeah. tail was and there were certain things i couldn't mimic for example mm -hmm. the top part of their of the back fin like the back tail mm -hmm. like that flapped around a bit and i couldn't mm -hmm. i couldn't mimic that because it was yeah i was making it out of wood um mm. and what i ended up doing is i didn't do any gears or anything like that i just hinged mm -hmm. all the parts yeah and then i had a um I actually had a, it was a a, a, mob, a, a child's mobile. Yeah. You know, like there's a spins, it's supposed yeah. to spin around like kids 
thing. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like toys or whatever. And planets. And yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so, and then I made a, um, a aluminium scuba diver that was counterweight, was the counterweight. And nice. he swam around. And by pivoting the, the top, yeah. it made the tail move and swim. Nice. Oh, yeah. So cool, I, I like that. I liked that, but then I looked at your stuff and I was like, oh man, I gotta get, I gotta get, <laughs> I, I gotta get this thing going. I gotta get something better here. Nah, I mean, hell, it all starts somewhere. That's really cool that you're doing that. I like that. I'd like to see that one of these days. You have to send me a picture of that, a video of it, even better. Yeah. Well, actually, it was a gift. I gave it to somebody. Uh, right. I sent it to the US to this guy called Nathan. Oh, nice. And uh, he he loved it, so I was super yeah. super stoked about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now we're talking about your, you know, the movement of animals, and I wanted to delve a little bit into your creative process. You know, sure. I've I've heard you say that you have a head for physics, and you can visualize things, and I get mm-hmm. I get that because I think a little bit the same too. And sure, you know, I'll I'll think out an idea and then mm-hmm. I'll try, I'll see it how, how it should work in my head. And I might, for example, lay a couple of things out on the bench and yeah. just mimic it up and, and, and that sort of thing. And, but then most of the time it's in my head and I just go and it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, my work is not as intricate as yours, <laughs> and especially well, the kinetic side <laughs> of things. Like how, how do you turn your, ideas into reality uh, well to be honest with you it's uh yeah i work a lot of it out in my head but then at the same time it's uh it's literally just yeah like if i'm looking at something and i go okay like for example you know we could use that that fox's foot so it's you know i know that this leg if i can <laughs> i know that this <laughs> leg has to uh you know it's got to come down meet the ground and kind of dig back fold up and come up at the right time and then reach out as it's coming out and coming back down to get that motion right. Right. And so what I'm doing in my head is I'm going, okay, I need this to move backwards. I need this to move forwards. I need this to move forwards. So this does this, this does this. Okay. So then I'll work out in my head, the mechanic of if I have one spinning motion, how do I move this that way, this, this way, and this, that way, and that, that way all at the same time. And that's where I would start in my head. And then from there, I could just build a model and uh, just just use uh, you know random pieces of steel I've laying around or welding wire or anything like that and just stick it together just to be able to move the pieces together, see what lengths I need you know, for connecting rods to be mm. able to get it to move the way that I need it to move. Because that's the only one thing that's really going to change on you. And, you have to change that a lot. I mean, I'll be building a sculpture and there's there's plenty of times that I'll put something together and go, okay, I need that actually an eighth of an inch longer. I was wrong on that. And so mm-hmm. I'll have to make a, another one real quick and pop that in there. But, uh, but yeah, I just work out a lot of it in my head and then start building it and uh, and uh, put it together. I, yeah, I don't really know how to uh, articulate it better than that. I guess the, the biggest uh, thing I would say as far as advice for somebody else doing the same, trying to make uh, kinetic sculptures would be to do it exactly how you did it. You started by watching videos of how the animal moved. Mm. That's the biggest thing. If you can watch it in nature, watch it in nature. If you can't, like if it's a, 
a humpback whale swimming and you're not a scuba diver, <laughs> then watch videos, like yeah. get, get, get some videos and start watching them and see how it moves and plot out points. So you're going, okay, its head is in this position. When this part of its body is in this position, this part of its body is in this position, and this part of its body is in this position. Now, when its head moves from that position to this position, what are those other parts of its body doing? What positions are they in? Figure out what that motion is. Figure out what it is about that motion that makes it look so seamless and beautiful. And that's what it is that you're trying to recreate. Once you know that you have a starting point, and once you know what you're trying to recreate, it can be a lot easier to figure out the mechanics to do that because you know what it is you have to do. So at that point, even if you came up with a linkage system, um, you know, you could you could try and even make it out of cardboard and, and some brads or something if you weren't sure if it would work or not and yeah. move it around, try it, see what it does. And if it's like, okay, that won't work, then you'd be able to come up with something else until you find something that can work. And then you can figure out the rest of the mechanics from there. But starting with the motion that you're trying to create and you know in the amounts like not just okay here's what moves when the other parts are moving and what direction they move but how much do they move if the head comes down you know 10 degrees is the tail up or is it down and is it 20 degrees 40 degrees like those are the things that you have to uh to figure out once you know what it is you're trying to do then from there it's just a matter of figuring out how to do it and there's a lot more than one way to uh to go about that so <laughs> that, there's definitely more <laughs> more than one way to go about it yeah. <laughs> so I like, for example, I was thinking about, we talked about the hunkback whale now and, you know, mm-hmm. I sort of see it like a little bit like his head goes down and then it's sort of like a wave sort of follows his through his body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so in some ways that, that movement's quite, oh, not easy, but like, it's yeah. not the hardest, yeah. it's not the hardest <laughs> movement to, to yeah. reciprocate, sure, but, yeah. but the fox's leg, that's, that feels like once you put four legs on and a head mm-hmm. and and yeah. a whole heap of other stuff, and the because the yeah. legs don't just run independently, you know, they're using their, their four legs together. Or I don't actually know actually if they how they. Yeah, run. sure. Yeah, but, they're all they're all moving different. Uh, mm. Yeah, the the rear ones are moving a little closer together, so it's kind of pushing off with its rear, even though they're stepping one before the other. Whereas the front ones are much more the way that we run with with our legs or how we'd run with our hands mm. um, if we were on all fours. Um, and then just, yeah, using the rear legs to more or less push off. So they'll come and down onto the ground, you know, and kind of push off and lift a little quicker than the front legs. But the the biggest thing with, uh, with the fox and the rabbit too is anytime you're trying to do like a, like a, a quadruped, you, you're dealing with something a lot more complicated than just the legs. That's actually uh, – um, something that a lot of people get wrong. I've noticed if they're trying to do kinetics is you can look at something and go, Oh, okay. The legs move and they move at this point, And that's what I have to do. And then you do that and you go, why does it look weird? Yeah. Well, it looks weird because there's a lot missing there. The head has to tilt on the neck. The neck has to lower down into the shoulders and then raise back up at a certain time during that movement of those legs too, as well as the back. If the back doesn't roll with the shoulders just right, like if it's just sitting stiff with legs running, it's just going to look like some kind of weird cartoon character. So that back has to actually roll as it's running as well. So you have to figure out the vertebrae, how you're going to make that work, how you're going to get those points to bend when they need to bend. I mean, that, that sculpture there was a fox chasing a rabbit. And if you look at it, you see the rabbit, you know, they fold right in half. So their back just humps right up, mm. you know, and their, their back legs are sticking right straight out through where their front legs go. So they're like really folding up. 
before they leap again. And so, yeah, if you don't get that right, it's not going to look at all like a rabbit. So, so there's a lot of motion that you might not necessarily be looking at that are there. So another thing that would be good if you, if you don't, like if you're just having trouble figuring out why the motion doesn't look right or why you might not be seeing what it is that you're looking at is uh, another thing you could try to do is uh, maybe uh, draw yourself a flip book, you know, try to uh, look at a video and pause and draw what it is you're looking at. If you did mm. that and made yourself a flip book, that might make it a little easier to see uh, motions that you might not necessarily be paying attention to. You might think that you're seeing what it is that makes it look the way it does. And then when you try to recreate it, you go, oh, I actually was, there's a lot of things I didn't see that are very important to make it look like it's moving the way it actually moves in nature. So, mm. so that, that might be a way to help that is basically study the motion before you, uh, before you try to, uh, to find a way to, uh, to recreate it. That would be a little bit of advice on that one, I suppose. What about the mechanical side of things? Do you like if you don't know what sort of uh, how to drive it or how to move it the way you want? Do you do you use websites? Mm. Any particular sites you go to to see? No, no, I don't. Uh, I don't use computers really when I'm coming up with the mechanics for my sculptures. Um, it's all just uh, yeah, it's all just stuff that I usually uh, I just make up. And like I said, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So for example, like let's say. You could use a, you could use a couple of sprockets with a roller chain between them, and now you turn this sprocket, but you have this sprocket over here fixed to an arm. Well, that's going to spin that whole arm right around there. So mm. now you've got this arm just spinning around in a circle. Well, there's you know there's ways that you can do things with that as well. So let's say you've got a sprocket and a roller chain, and you've got an arm out here, and you don't want it to go in a full circle. You just want it to move so far and then move back. Well, there's ways that you can do that based on how you're moving this piece and how you're connecting that to a crank. You could hook that to a cam. So you could have an arm that comes off of this and then that arm connects to a pin. And then you have a, like a cam over here, which is just a lobe that's offset. So as this rolls, it pushes this, which is pushing that lever, which is, you know, turning this that makes this move. So a lot of times it's, if you're starting with a motion that you know you want to get, you can just work backwards and there's many different ways to do that. And cam's a good example of that because if you have a cam spinning I mean, you have like an egg shape with an offset pen, that thing's just going to lobe around. And cams are what we use for timing all the time anyways in machinery. Right. Yeah. Like your engine won't run without cams. Uh, you know, uh, that's, it's basically anything to do with timing. Like even when they were trying to shoot machine guns through a propeller, you know, trying to figure out a way to do that. And the crazy thing is, is, you know, there was a bunch of people working on it saying that they couldn't figure it out. But I mean, they literally had the engine right there. Like anything with timing is cams. Like, I don't understand how you can't <laughs> they just use a cam. And then they, the top scientists figured out, oh, we can use a cam to time it. And it's like, well, this is literally how the engine works that you're connecting it to. Yeah, you can, you can absolutely put a cam on the trigger and right. can't shoot unless the propeller is in the right position. So same thing, anything for timing cams were great. So now if you've got those cams going, and you know you want to pull this and push this at this time or that time, you just have two cams and just running opposite times and then hook the levers. And so you've got those levers going and now they're, you know, this one goes, then that one goes, and this one goes, and that one goes. And the cool thing about cams is if you're using a system of cams, you could do a whole bank of them. And at that point, if you slow them down enough, you can do an entire sequence. So let's say you've got a cam that's like as big around as a record 
and you've got lobes like mountains all over that thing. If you can spend that at like one RPM, now all of a sudden you've got an entire minute of a program to run. So you could have something do a totally weird sequence of movement, however you wanted it to do, whatever you wanted it to do. And it would have a start and a finish that it would loop at within that minute. So then you can get into really complex movements and do some really cool stuff. Yeah, cams are definitely a way to go. If, you, if you're not doing something that repeats very quickly and easily in one linear motion, like the fox chasing the rabbit or, or like the whale, hmm. because for them, one rotation is one full movement. So that would be the fox going from this position back to this position. You're right. So you can, you can really only, you know, that's all got to happen within that one turn. So you don't need cams for something like that. But if I wanted to, let's say, you know, make a ballerina that went through like a whole bunch of different movements and spun and put her hands out and stuck her legs out and did all this stuff and then came back to that starting position, cams would be the way to do that. I mean, at that point, you could... You can make something run as long as you wanted it to before it looped back on itself. Yeah, and I think too, one great thing about making art sculpture, you know, movable sculpture is it's art. You know, it's kind of forgiving. Yeah. You can't really yeah. do it wrong. You right? can't do it wrong. No, exactly. <laughs> that was actually something me and my, was something me and my my buddy used to say back in the day when we first started doing the scrap fest together. Uh, we, we would say, uh, "Yeah, the nice thing about art is you can't do it wrong." but it can look like shit. <laughs> that was a, uh, that was like one, one half of that was uh, my mind. And the other half of that was his input on that, but it became kind of a running joke between us, you know, cause one of us would be like, no, it's fine. You can't do it wrong. And it's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it a little different. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the whole thing is, yeah, you're right. Like you really can't do it wrong because at the end of the day, it's an interpretation of what it is you're trying to do. So the only way that it's wrong is if it, you didn't do what you wanted to do. Mm. But there's been plenty of times that I've been dissatisfied with something I made and other people have looked at it and been like, wow, amazing. So it's, uh, <laughs> you're never going to disappoint. You're only going to disappoint yourself. The story of my life. Yeah. 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 Me too. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's always going to be their own worst critic. You know, you're always going to be looking at something going, mm, no, not quite. But the great thing about that is like, that's how you get better. If you're ever satisfied with something that you made, like, I mean, at that point, you just, you're kind of stuck, you know, as soon yeah, as you think you know everything, you're not going to learn anything. Like the whole point is to be disappointed so you can try and do better and do more and figure something else out. I'm going to have to tell my wife that because she hates that I'm disappointed <laughs> about my work. <laughs> no, no. The best, the best people in the world when it comes to any field that, that they are in, if you look at what they did throughout their life, they were literally questioning how things worked and how they could do things better right up to the end. Hmm. I mean, even like, even like uh, if we're talking artists, you know, like Da Vinci on his deathbed was, was still writing in his notebook that he wanted to be able to describe how the tongue of a woodpecker worked. You know, it's just, just out of curiosity. Like it's when we're little kids, we're always asking why and always trying to figure things out. And at some point as we become adults, we like forget to, to ask why and that's a really mm. important thing to not forget if you're not trying to better yourself if you're not trying to learn more and do more and figure more out and and do better i mean one you're probably going to be insufferable because you'll be a know-it-all <laughs> and two yeah. you really won't go anywhere from there you're just you're stuck in the mud at that point you know mm. you can't teach something to somebody who already knows everything what the hell are they going to learn you know so that's yeah, i always keep my ears open if i have some old guy stop in the shop and go, no, you're doing that wrong. You should do it like this. Uh, even if, 
even if I'm flustered or pissed off at him for, for telling me I'm wrong, I'm still going to sit there and listen to him because you never know. He might have a better way of doing something because like that's yeah, at the end of the day, you, you can't know everything. And there's going to be people out there that are going to have a better way of doing something. You come in and go, you know what? I started doing this, you know, back during World War II. And if you do this and then that and then do this, you'll see. And it's like, what? I never thought of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is very clever. OK, let me try this. And it's like, holy shit, man. Thank you. Like, I just learned something new. Like, that's yeah, you, you can't you can't know everything. And you're fooling yourself if you think you do. Plus, again, you're probably an insufferable jackass. If you think you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. <laughs> well, I think I think, too, like we're always learning things from historians who are digging up things that we never knew about our past. Right. Yeah. You know, like the, the things the human race knew before now is yeah. actually phenomenal yet. We don't, Very we impressive. think we're so smart now. Right. Yeah. So we've yeah. lost knowledge. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. exactly like that old guy coming into your workshop and saying, you know what, if you do it like this, you could save so much time and it looks better. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, I've been doing it like this the whole time. How yeah, was that yeah. knowledge lost? Right. And I think yeah. it's it's kind of just history, how history works. You know, yeah. the world just keeps on moving so fast. So it's always good yeah. to keep your ears open. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just that kind of stuff. I'm 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 always really interested in that. And I'm 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 I hate that TV show, the ancient alien show. <laughs> it's very frustrating to me because it's like, yeah, you have like this, like a really amazing feat and you don't know how it was done because that civilization was lost to history. Mm. And like, that's amazing to me. And it's like, okay, but how did they do this? And then you have people like actual scientists, like trying to figure this stuff out. And then you have some jackass come along and just go, aliens did it. And everyone's just like, oh, okay. Aliens did it. Let's make an entire TV show about that. Instead of actually like going into how this was actually accomplished. And then when they do figure that stuff out, it's just stuck on the back burner because you get more ratings telling people aliens did it and making a show with a bunch of sci-fi writers and instead of actual archaeologists. And it's like, <laughs> like, did you know like how they like built the Parthenon to make it look straight, even though it's purposefully curved? Like if you build something perfectly straight and it's a certain size, when you're standing at it, looking at it, it'll look like it has a curve to it because of what the sun does you know, to a structure over a long distance when you're standing up upright. Mm. They knew that and they figured out the mathematical equation to curve these marble pillars just right. So they had such a slight curve to them to make them not straight so that when you looked at it, that curvature balanced that out so it looked perfectly straight. Like So because of that, to this day, this thing's like the pieces of it that are still there still look straight even though they're purposefully curved. And they found this plaque it's basically like an instruction manual that the foreman would have had. And mm. it, they just found it in a quarry, like chiseled on one of the rocks to explain to people, like, here's the mathematical equation using like geometry. They had like the drawings on there and everything of like how to figure out the equation to get that curve just right based on the size of the piece that was being cut from stone in the quarry. And like, I tell that to people and they don't even know about that, but they know about this ancient alien show. And it's like... <laughs> it's infuriating like come on this is an amazing find that somebody found this in this quarry from like thousands of years ago and 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 people they don't know about that that's that's soft news but they know all about the aliens that did it though yeah 
<laughs> are you are you doing the same? Are you just are you welding a diagram on the side of your sculptures to show? <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> to show, show, show people in the future that it wasn't aliens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should start. <laughs> something something that I thought was alien, like was your bloody elephant. No, you like from Scrapfest, like oh, yeah. the way it moved. Like I was looking at it, I was like, yeah, the trunk moves. Wait a second, mm-hmm. the head moves. Wait a second, the ears move. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept on finding more things that were moving on it. It was just, yeah. it was really great. Yeah. Again, just trying to get that to look real. Yeah, you just, I was just watching an elephant move its head and looking at it and going, okay, what's moving where, you know, at what times, what does it look like? How does it feel? You know, and a big part of that too was just like, you know, when the elephant moved its head back in this video that I was watching, the way that its ears moved back, it almost looked like they were just kind of falling back from the weight of him. So it was just kind of like he was just relaxing his muscles and just letting his ears move when he moved his head. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a very easy thing that I can do mechanically mm-hmm. because at that point, all I have to do is just hinge the ears. And then when I tilt the head to a certain degree, they they're going to swing in that direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then tilt the head the other way and they'll swing back the right way. And so I can have them move you know, the way I want them to move simply just by putting hinges on, there's actually no mechanical pieces hooked to them at all. They just move because the head moves, you know, and at that point it kind of looks realistic just because of the, you know, the way that they actually move in real life. But so there's a lot of times where you can get things to do what you want them to do without even having to have a really complex, you know, system of mechanisms hooked together. I mean, that entire elephant moves with nothing but bicycle cables. Those are all just cables. Like Mm. that's how all the movements in that elephant are achieved. So that all started with a bunch of caps I had from starters. I'm friends with uh, Burt Breaker from Baker Drivetrain. He makes uh, transmissions for Harley's aftermarket. Okay. And uh, I became really good friends with him just through having the bike shop. And um, him and his wife both really loved the sculptural stuff that I would do. So they would save me pieces and parts from their manufacturing and then give them to me. Hmm. And they'd given me all these starter caps off the back of these starters that they were making there. Um, just because there was something wrong with them. So I just had this box full of starter caps and they have three holes in them. And then they've got a little dome on the end of them. If you're not familiar with a starter off a Harley. Yeah. yeah. And okay. Yeah. And so I just took a bunch of those and stacked them together and then just ran wire through the holes just because I needed a way to store them. I was just literally doing that to throw them in the shed because otherwise I just had this huge pile of these caps. Yeah. But when I did that, I went to pick it up and I just grabbed one of these wires and the whole thing just went and spun right up and i was just like um that's a trunk of an elephant right yeah so it was actually with that one it was the movement that started it like as soon as i saw that i was like well now i want to build an elephant (laughs) you know so so sometimes you'll just figure out a way that you can make something move mechanically and that'll lend itself to the idea right there so you know and then from there just just kind of figure out the rest and i just stuck with the idea of using cables so yeah the, the crank is literally just there's cranks that are you know, as you're turning that around, it's just the heads on a ball and socket. I just used off of a CV joint from a car because uh, that was Scrap Fest. I built that for. So um, for everyone out there, Scrap Fest is a show that they do in uh, Lansing. It's this really cool show where you you get to go out into a yard and you've got one hour in the scrap yard to pick up 500 pounds of scrap metal. And then you get to take it back to the shop and you got a couple of weeks to build it and whatever you want, but you can only use stuff that you find in the scrapyard. You can't use anything else. No. So that's kind of part of the fun is trying to figure out how to make this stuff work with just whatever you happen to grab that day within that hour. 
And that was actually one of the cool things about the, uh, the show was as we were doing scrap fest, I always said like, this is such a great idea. And it was this guy, David such that came up with the idea. Cause we had this old scrapyard that Lansing was literally built around. And that place, the scrapyard so old that, uh, the guy who started Oldsmobile used to go there to get scrap metal parts when he was building cars in his garage, like for the first time in the 1800s. So it's got <laughs> a lot of history there and it just happens to still be there. And, and as they're doing all this and there's all this really cool history, but also just cool sculptures being built out of this junk metal that we're pulling out of the scrapyard. It was like this, somebody should put this on TV. This is great. People would love to watch this. And then that's when the metal shop masters, uh, people got a hold of me like, hey, we, now not only are they going to, but to be part of that was uh, like, like, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> you know, I had like 2000 followers at the time on Instagram. She was like, how did you even find me? And they said, they just went down a rabbit hole of hashtags and just saw some of my sculptures. And they just said they wanted me to be on the show real bad. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, what are the odds of that? You know, it wasn't like I, like you said, you didn't know me before that show came out and like nope. nobody really did. So like, what are the odds that someone in California would find me out here all the way in Michigan playing around with scrap metal, you know, like just that's wild. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like something out of a book. Uh, you broke up a little bit there explaining sort of, how they sort of found you but um but yeah i mean it's it's pretty remarkable to think that you know you can just do being doing your thing you know in michigan yeah. and then all of a sudden you get a call from you know hollywood <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 exactly, to, yeah. To, to come <laughs> come do a show uh, i mean let's talk about that elephant in the room you know that is metal shop <laughs> masters how, yeah, sure. how do you feel about the show and how did you feel working you know under the pressure of like time constraints and with cameras all over you oh i liked all that yeah i mean one i never really been shy i mean even as a little kid i was always kind of a ham so like the cameras was no big deal plus even if you were a little shy around cameras you'd forget they were there like even people that were there that were thinking they'd be a little nervous they got over it real quick because once you're busy trying to do something you're not really thinking about cameras anymore you're just trying to focus on what you're doing in front of you but, uh, but it was really cool because I never got to do anything like that before. Like when I say I was a ham, the stuff I used to do is like, I did a lot of community theater and stuff like that. And I just, you know, like being on a stage and just, yeah, just kind of, you know, doing that kind of thing. So that was never a problem. Also, you know, I mean, I was probably, uh, you know, could guess, but like, you know, same thing with like the guitar playing I do now and stuff. Like when I was in high school, of course, like motorcycles and rock and roll, like that was, that was cool, you know? So, <laughs> so I was in bands and stuff, played on stages. So, so none of that was really, was really bad at all. And uh, I'd say the whole thing overall was actually really positive because one, all the people I met there were just amazing. You know, they're like family to me now. I still see them. I still talk to them. You know, I mean, I went down to, uh, I went down to, Alabama, you know, and saw Frank and hung out with him, you know, stayed with him and his family. I went out to Vegas and stayed with Luis and, you know, spent time with his family. And I'm not planning on doing that with, you know, with, with everybody. And I'm still in contact with all of them. You know, we'll still text each other, you know, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's or just checking on each other, see how, see how we're doing. It's, uh, yeah, there was like a real, a real deep friendship that was born out of that through us. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm still in contact like, as a friend with, you know, both of the, uh, both of the judges, David Madero is a great friend of mine now, you know, and, 
it was just, it was amazing. And it was actually the fact that you having to do something within these crazy time constraints. I could tell that there was some people that were there that really didn't like that. You know, obviously nobody works like that. Like mm-hmm. nobody works the way that you do on a reality TV show. So we were all struggling with that side of it, but you could tell some people were just like not having it. But uh, for me, I really like that aspect of it because it's, it makes it to where you have to do something different than you would have done it. Right. You know, none of the things that I built for that show were the way that I would normally build them. But at the same time, having to figure out a way to do what I wanted to do, do it a lot faster than I possibly could do it forced me to try and come up with other ways of doing things. And I've actually like, that's translated into things that I've done since then. Like there's been stuff that I've gone, you know what, I've actually got an idea for this because of something I did on that show. I never even would have thought to try to do it this way before, but, but now here's like a, you know, another arrow in my quiver. <laughs> yeah. Cause so. it's not, it's not like you're doing your best work, you know, on the no. show, right? <laughs> no slap dash. Yeah. Like just throw it together as fast as you can make it look like something and just cross your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got 10 hours to do something I'd normally spend a month on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt, I felt like a lot of the stuff that you put out there, you know, with the right amount of time, it would have just blown you know, all the competition out of the water just because of the moving element. I think in addition to what you, you know, what you can do uh, sculpturally as well. Um, well. I appreciate that. But if they all had the same amount of time, I don't know. Cause yeah, that's, true. That's, I mean, one, that's, that's one of the things about the show that I tried to, uh, like, I'm always trying to tell people, like, go follow everyone that was on the show. Because hmm. I really appreciate all the attention that I've been, like, uh, getting from it. And I'm glad that everybody really liked, uh, you know, what I did and the way that I did it. But, uh, but at the same time, all of these other artists are just out of this world. Amazing. Like you go and you look on their Instagram profiles and you're going to see things that are just like, oh, wow, I had no idea. I mean, the stuff that Leah does with her forging, the mm. work that she does, she made this purse one time. It's this bronze purse and that, you know, it's clasps and opens up, but it's like got a snake coiling around it. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's been in museums. Like she's building that quality of work, like that level. And the, the forging that she does, the way that she makes the things she makes, it's outstanding. And, you know, she definitely didn't come across like, you know, looking great on the show because of the way that it was thrown together and, hmm. and what happened and the fact that it is what it is. But at the same time, like she's she's probably one of the most amazing artists who was on that show. So it's definitely I think it's important that people get on and go and look and see what these people are actually all capable of, because they're all just out of this world amazing artists so despite yeah. despite what everyone is saying uh, on reddit which is <laughs> i i, I found didn't see that What's oh on my reddit? oh you gotta it's hilarious <laughs> it's hilarious yeah yeah uh, there, there is a reddit thread that that says <laughs> that honestly says ivan should have won what the heck <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. uh, there's like three four hundred comments on it it's 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 fantastic. I, I mean, it's great. Mm. Um, it's great for the show. It's great for you. Yeah, uh, yeah but it I, is. Yeah. Just like you said, though. I mean, the the truth is, you know, all these guys that you're competing against. Yeah. You know, if yeah, you great. had, yeah, I mean, if you you had them in their own workshops with unlimited mm-hmm. amount of time, it's it's a hard. Yeah, it's, they'd it's all be doing amazing stuff. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it would yeah. still be. Yeah, it would still be really hard to beat them. Yeah. Plus, mm. at the same time, like, you know, I mean. Yeah, like 
you know, at the end of the day, like I, I shouldn't have won. I didn't finish, you know, in the end. So. Like, yeah, but was, you made. I a, appreciate tried to make a that. wildebeest. But <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> well, yeah, and I knew that I was probably going to lose when I started doing that. But I mean, like once I had it in my head, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied doing anything else. This is and what I want to build, and now it's stuck in my head. So I'm just going to build it, and if I lose, then I'll go down being me. I'll go down swinging, and that's fine. Yeah, but I, Ivan, I lost. But that's okay. Ivan, it was rigged, mate. Like I've just <laughs> it was, I, it was no. Rigged. no, it was rigged. It wasn't, it hold, wasn't rigged. Hold on, they just threw they two they threw two monkeys in with you to like help <laughs> no. you, and you're like a guy who works on his own. Like, how are you gonna <laughs> how are you gonna use these two guys, like, and build the thing with the vision in your head? I I just thought it was a setup. Like nah, no, they didn't do that. Didn't pan, they didn't, they didn't do right, that with well. any other challenges, <laughs> Ivan. Like the, none of the yeah. other challenges did you have two helpers come in on yeah, these builds. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted us to uh to be able to do something more. That's why they wanted to give us help, but we were still limited on time because they were limited on budget. You know, it was the first season of the show. And yeah, we were actually trying to get them to give us the two who had just been eliminated. So essentially we were saying like, Hey, if you're going to give us helpers anyways, like, can't you give us like, you know, like, like Luis and Ray, like they just, mm -hmm. they just left the show. And because of what happened in the previous episode, like they're like, they're both still here. They haven't flown home yet. Like you just have to stick them in a hotel for one more night. And they were like, it's not in the budget. We can't, we can't keep them for one more night. So like, so that was, but that would have been really cool. And I think people would have liked that better if they would have done that with the show. So a lot of what happened and a lot of how it was done on the show was really wrapped around budget. It was like, uh, it was very shoestring budget on that show. Cause again, it was the first season. So they're testing the waters. They want to see how successful it's going to be. Hmm. So they, there was a lot of things that they were just like, just throwing together. Like, okay, this is how much money, this is what we have. This is what we can work with. Like go. And it was just, it was actually really cool to see how they did that and how they pulled it off that whole set that we were in. Hmm. they built that in a warehouse in like a week they just like had a bunch of guys in there and just like boom 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 put this whole thing together you know while we were in quarantine because of the pandemic and it was just yeah. like it's amazing like oh my god they like this is really impressive the things that they uh that they do out there and and the unions that they have for doing these things and the different crews and the way they have everything set up they they can just knock stuff out so fast that uh it was uh, amazing and like a whole just big thrill ride. And it was, it seemed like it was over just as soon as it begun, even though we were out there for a month, it was, it was wild. It was really cool. <laughs> it was a hell of a thing to be a part of. Perhaps like uh, 80 people in the room while they were making that show. Really? 80? You wouldn't think so. No. Yeah, it was crazy. There was wow. people everywhere. They had like a safety person just specifically there just because they have to make sure that we're doing things a certain way and that we're making sure that we're wearing the right PPE and that we're being safe and, and then you've got a guy over here who it's just his job just to hold this microphone over this one person, you know, even though they're mic'd up because he's trying to get sounds of their tools. And then you've got this camera that's on a big boom and you got somebody running that. And you've got another guy over here with this kind of camera person over here, a person over there. You've got a whole nother room off to the side that has a bunch of people in it, you know, including people that have got to get food for everyone, for all these people that are on set. And then on <laughs> yeah. top of that, you've got like the producers sitting there and, and everyone who's putting the show together, sitting in a room, watching it on screens, telling everyone, okay, I want to get this shot of that because it's going on right now. So go, go, go. So they're like, you know, conducting this whole thing with these 
camera operators and the audio people and everybody trying to make sure that they're getting the shots that they want as they're going about all this. So it was just really, it was really cool to, to see how that all worked together and like seamlessly flowed when you're doing something like a reality TV show, because you're not setting up a shot and then going, okay, everybody can go. There it is. We got it. No, it's like, they're just going anyways. And we just got to try and keep up with that mm. and catch what we want to catch as it's happening. If we miss something too bad and it's, it's already done. It's over. So it was really kind of cool to, uh, to see the way that that worked. I never would have guessed how complicated it was and how much really went into doing something like that. It was impressive. Mm. I was thinking about, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you could have got, you know, the two, you know, um, people that were, you know, eliminated from, from, from the show to come in and, and, you know, help you guys, for example, on the last project. And I, and I was sort of wondering, like, have you, have you seen the school of chocolate? Have you seen that on, on Netflix? Uh, no, I haven't actually seen that yet. I, uh, uh, if you're a I've sculptor, heard of it. I want to see it. Yeah. If you're a sculptor, go see it. It's really, yeah. it's really good. But that, I mean, yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. That this is what's interesting about it was none of the contestants were eliminated. Oh really? They, they went through the whole time, and they just they like they built points. So like if they did badly on a challenge, then yeah. you know they didn't get as many points. But then the next day they did really well. So then they built up the points again. Nice. So it was so actually you still had a winner, but without elimination. Right, and it was so oh, much like better. That. It was yeah, so that would much be better. better. That's nice. Yeah, I and, like that. And the uh, I, I I'm gonna balls his name up because it's French and I'm. So I'm not going to say his name, but the, you know, <laughs> but the host, you know, he's a, he's a world renowned pastry chef, you know, and chocolatier, mm. you know, and so when someone did poorly in a challenge, they yeah. got trained and schooled by him whilst the others oh, really? were doing another challenge. Oh, wow. That was really good. And I just, so think, instead of getting to move on to the next challenge, you, you would get to learn from this master. Yeah. That's it, awesome. Yeah. What a way was, to do it. That's great. It was really great. And I thought, imagine if they did that with Metal Shop Masters. Yeah. The whole heap of the, uh, like reality yeah. shows. Yeah. Oh, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, even like with the judges that you had there, I mean, Stephanie, she's an amazing welder. Like she's the, uh, she's the, the you know, the face of the, the welding association. And on top of that, David Madero, he's, he's literally like one of the greatest metal sculptors out there. And mm. so like they, they totally could have done that. They already had the people to do that. It would have been great. Yeah. Mm. What a great format. That's like really clever idea. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to see the show before, but now I want to see it even more. I had no yeah, idea that's how they did it. Worth seeing. Worth seeing. I mean, Jesus, yeah. he's a, 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 an artist. Like, yeah. Yeah. Really great. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. You, you, there's certain characters you end up hating, of course, like all oh, sure, reality shows. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. good, worth, worth, uh, definitely worth a watch. Um, oh, before we go into our rapid fire five, Ivan, I wanted to just take this quick chance to, uh, thank all my patrons, if that's all right with you. Yeah, um, absolutely. yeah, look, there are so many guys out there supporting me. Um, but especially those guys that are supporting this show and my YouTube channel financially, I just want to say a big thank you, especially to the top tier heroes, Stine Serhus, Sylvester Arneson, Andreas Volman, and Ryan Wilson. And a big thank you to a new patron, Jamie Page from JP Woodwork. Uh, thank you so much for supporting me. To If you look forward to every episode, please head over to patreon.com and support the show and my YouTube channel, and I would really, really appreciate it. 
Now, the rapid fire five. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. What All right. What's something people get wrong about you? What's something people get wrong about me? Your voice mm. is real. <laughs> it's it's yeah, that I, I smooth. Guess, I guess I guess that would be uh, I guess that would be something that people get wrong about me is just that uh, like I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody when they were making the show, um, they had just seen my Instagram stuff, saw the stuff that I was uh, you know putting out there content wise, and they kind of got the impression that I was going to be uh, yeah a bit of a a bit of a douchebag, I think is how they put it. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I got there, they were like, oh, no, this is really, this is who you are. Like all the things you put out there and like you're, this is, this is really you. This, you know, you just, uh, you love what you do. This is what you do. And you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, so I, I guess that, but I didn't realize that until somebody pointed it out. I'm not sure that a lot of people think that, but <laughs> this one in particular person did. That might be something that, uh, that people get wrong about me. Yeah, the stuff that I put out there that I show, that's uh, yeah, it's really me. That's really what I'm doing. I'm just here in the shop every day and you know, I'm just building things. And so that's, that's literally what I do. It's what I've always done. Yeah. I feel like one thing I should mention, I feel like most people probably don't fully understand is that you're not a millionaire doing this stuff. You know, no, like you're not. No, that would be something people get wrong about me. That's yeah. actually, that's, yeah, that's true. I, um, somebody told me to Google myself. And so I did that. And, uh, I didn't realize that because of the show, there was a bunch of people out there like basically making guesses like, Ooh, I even this, I even that, I even, and it's the funny thing was, is there are like these weird little, uh, you know, like tabloid type of sites or whatever, but it, it was strange because as they're doing that, I realized like, you know, any one of these people could have called me and I could have answered any of these questions and they've gotten them so wrong. <laughs> I think one of, one of them said something like, you know, and I don't have any kids, so they did get this right, but it was still really funny just the way they worded it. They were sitting there and said, uh, uh, Ivan is estimated to be worth millions of dollars and he has yet to father a child. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, okay, well, I don't have any kids. That's true. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not worth millions of dollars. No, no. Um, <laughs> I struggled to, uh, to build the shop here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm finally, uh, you know, finally out of the red but no i'm definitely not a millionaire no this says uh this was all built one leg at a time you know coming up from a, a gas station job <laughs> damn straight <laughs> yeah what's something you'd like to do that has nothing to do with making stuff just walking around in the woods really watching things trying to see how things work i mean i could I could sit and watch a trail of ants carrying aphids and that symbiotic relationship between those two things for hours and just never, never get sick of it. I hmm. love just observing the way the world works. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I had one guy tell me one time, this old guy, he said, he says, you know how you get something done? And I said, no, how? He says, you start it. Right. That was the best advice anybody's ever given me. You know, you got to have so many ideas that your head will hurt, but it doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't start. Damn straight. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Here's a question that some people trip up on is uh, what does happiness look like? Happiness? Um, A lot like this, I suppose. You know, being able to do what you like. Being able to 
do what makes you happy and find a way to make a living at that. It's something that I think a lot of people strive for and get tripped up on a bit because at the end of the day, you can do something that's a good job, you know, and it pays well and you have good insurance and you're well taken care of. And at the end of your life, you'll be able to say, I kept all the bills paid, Mm. but who cares if you kept all the bills paid? You know, you're just wasting your life if you're not doing something that makes you happy. So I would say you find what that looks like to you, what happiness is, what it is that you want to do with the rest of your life if money didn't matter. And then find a way to make money doing that. And you don't have to do it all at once. You can take it one leg at a time. You can say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm working my job, but I really want to be doing this. So when I get home at the end of the day, I'm going to spend two hours working on starting a business plan for this. Or if you're making something, let's say, I'm going to spend two hours every day uh, working on my woodworking or even a half an hour, whatever it is that you can spare. You can make time for the things that you want to do and you can slowly work your way into being able to do that. Yeah. You know, and then just just do that. I mean, find out what makes you happy and then chase it. You know, if you're not doing what makes you happy at the end of the day, life's just too short to just keep worrying about whether or not the bills are paid. You got to do what makes you happy. I'm so, kind of doing yeah. the same. If you like, I'm, I'm just stepping it through, you know, I'm being yeah. patient, realizing things yeah. take time. And, you know, like I'm down to working three days a week, you know, on my day job. And yeah. I'd work two days at home doing this exactly what yeah. I'm doing, podcasting and building stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and I don't make a lot of money. In fact, I make zero money to think about it. It makes you happy. But it makes me damn happy. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And at the end of your life, you're not going to look back and go, I kept the bills paid. You're going to look back and go, look at all the stuff I did. All 100%. the people I reached and touched. Yeah. That's I already, happiness. I already say that and I'm only, you know, two years in, like three years in, right? I already say <laughs> that. Yeah. I was like, look at what's happened. Look how much has Hell happened yeah. in that time. It's amazing. Yeah. So, see, that is amazing. I love that. Yeah. 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 All right. The last question, who should be the mm. next guest on this podcast? Ooh. Hmm. The next guest on your podcast. Well, if we're speaking from the, from the people that I know that I think would be a good fit for you. Would, uh, yeah, I would say probably uh, someone from the show. Right. Leah, Louise, Frank. Uh, yeah, anybody from the show would be a, be a good fit. And uh, but it just so happens I'd be able to get you in contact with them. But, if, <laughs> but if, it's, if it's just a matter of who should be the next person on your show, and it could be anybody, um, I don't know. How about Neil deGrasse Tyson? <laughs> All right. Nah, nah, get him on. Yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> Went and saw him speak one time. It was great. <laughs> great. Fantastic. Yeah. You learn a lot talking to them. That'd be cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I might hit you up for those contacts, just so you know. Yeah. So yep. David Madero too, Stephanie, all of them there. And the cool thing is, is they've all got this like really great art because the show, it just, you know, it changed things for people. It made things different. And so like, we're all going down these different paths and, and doing different things and opening up and spreading from there. I mean, Stephanie's even starting a school over on the East coast for teaching people, you know, how to do metal fabrication and welding. So there's a, it's a lot of cool things happening out there that people can, you know, tap into. And uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be a great place to go learn mm. from her. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks Ivan. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. I'm, I'm really glad that you reached out to me. Um, just before we go, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Ivan underscore Eiler. 
Um, I started doing that TikTok thing, but I'm, I don't really post much there. I'm trying to do better at that, but that's just Ivan Eiler. I'm also uh, Ivan Eiler Studios on uh, YouTube. I got to get to making more videos for that, but I started doing that a long time ago, back when I was doing the motorcycle stuff, and those are still on there. So you can go on there and see me making hardtail frames and, and uh, tooling leather seats and stuff like that. Those are still there, <laughs> like a big, long braided beard. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so there's some interesting throwbacks there. Um, but uh, yeah, also uh, uh, Facebook is uh, Ivan Eiler Studios um, on Facebook, but uh, that's just all stuff that's getting pushed over from Instagram. Instagram is really where I, I pay the most attention to the content I'm putting out there on a daily basis. So it's probably the best. Fantastic. Me. Yeah. And I also have a website, uh, IvanEilerStudios.com. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this episode has inspired you to explore a little bit into movement in your work, especially movement of nature. Uh, you know, inspiration is just outside the front door. Uh, if you enjoyed the show or you thought it was crap, I encourage you to give me some feedback and you can do so by sending me a DM to at Garage Avenger on Instagram. I also encourage you to share this with your friends and family if you thought it was awesome. Uh, it's time to go ignite your creativity and go make your kinetic ideas reality. I'm Justin White. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep pushing yourself, keep ballsing up things, keep learning, get inspired, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah. There There's no go. way anybody's going to think that was crap, man. That was awesome. <laughs> that, was one of the, that was one of the best podcasts I've done yet. <clears throat> really, thank you, man. Really appreciate yeah. it. Hey, guys, just before you go, I just wanted to say that there is an after show on my Patreon with Ivan. If you enjoyed the show and you want more, uh, we talk about a whole heap of other stuff super fun and interesting uh you get a bit more background story of also where ivan came from and and his struggles head over to patreon.com there's a link in the show notes thanks for listening guys